Hello, welcome to episode 47 of We Don't Talk About the Weather, political discussion that to the uninitiated may just sound like screaming and crying. I'm Adam and I'm here with you. Hello. And we're here to talk about this week's news. Sorry, I'm still looking at pictures of gold dust. (laughs) Sorry. It's your pre-podcast ritual. I just look at pictures of gold dust. Then you become him. Yeah. And if I fuck it up, then I just end up like Black Rain. (laughs) Yeah, sorry, no more wrestling. Um, Yeah, this week's been fun. So, we're going to war. Uh, yeah, we're going to a war which we could not possibly win. A war that at no point Where in the last ta- hundred years could we have ever won either. So, like, it's the top story right now. Hmm. Um, a former Russian agent, former GRU agent, uh, who defected to British intelligence and had been passing them information, um, was found comatose in the middle of a park in Salisbury. Yeah, and he um, apparently has ingested some kind of nerve agent. And this has kicked off a whole load of round of sabre rattling between Britain and Russia. No. no Where hasn't. are they going no, to? It it's kicked off sabre rattling from Britain. Yeah. And yeah, Russia yeah. going, no. <laughs> I, where, like, okay. I don't doubt Russia probably did it. So, that, you I know. Also find it hard there's, to care. there's been lots of posturing from, like, Boris Johnson um, and, like. I don't think threatening to Columnists keep your going team mad. Going there is posturing. <laughs> that was the best. That was the best fucking thing. It's like, how do we seal off? How do we really round off this particular page in conservative and governmental history? Well, every country likes it when history. English football fans turn up, so we shall keep them home. <laughs> <laughs> it was like Boris Johnson pretend, like. Oh, well, maybe we'll have to think about not sending uh, England to the World Cup. It's like, yeah, I mean, that'll probably be a net positive for football. But um, way, to, way to really round off this chapter of like political history by <laughs> making yourself literally the most un- uh, unpopular political party of all time. I love the idea that... Also, I imagine FIFA has the same kind of stuff that the Olympics do, that if, um, if England boycotted it, they'd be banned. From like the next couple. Um, That's what happens to the Olympics. If you if you um if you boycott it, you get banned. I'm not sure. I mean, maybe they they might be a big enough footballing country that they could just like. I just think it'd be just really in. funny, just like having it'd be hilarious. a bunch of English people try to pretend that they're Scottish or Welsh. <laughs> Suddenly just watching. So strange that you know Harry Kane, England's main striker, if you don't know, um, gets injured and may miss the World Cup in the same week. <laughs> that a Russian agent gets assassinated by nerve agents. I'm not saying they're connected. <laughs> but I'm saying that the British government would literally do anything to protect the honour of their horrible football team. <laughs> uh, yeah, like there's there's a whole load of like, oh we need to we need to like put like defensive measures and everyone has to come together and everyone everyone look, suspend politics. War is happening. And it's like Like with Iraq. A, no it's not. B, this isn't some imperial adventure. These are Europeans you're dealing with, which in the kind of nationalist mindset Hmm. has a different set of criteria. Where is this war going to happen? There's no land other than mainland Europe. I mean, the French will object for a start. What we do is we fly into that airstrip in in West West Berlin. Yeah. (laughs) And that's where we drop off our soldiers. (laughs) And then we smash down the wall. (laughs) Theresa May has announced announced a very classic... Uh, Churchillian, nostalgic, a very, a very kind of mainly makes you feel proud to be British by bombarding what was West Berlin with food packages <laughs> full of jam and biscuits, <laughs> just hampers. <laughs> uh, no, uh, um, yeah, it's a hard thing with Russia because where, where about would you start? Like, if you like, just if you were just looking at it yeah. purely, like, okay, we are going to attack Russia. At which point do you just make? It's too big. It's like it's too big a cake. But like what? But I, 
what are they? What like what? And what, also why? What is supposed to happen here? Like, yeah. right? In if you assume that well, war is now inevitable. Like everybody seems to be doing that parody, like that brass eye, uh, that day to day parody. Yeah. Of um, how the media like uh, hypes up war fever. Mm. Everybody's hyping it up, and it's like, what? Where does it? Where does it go? Where does the war go? <laughs> so I've just got images of a new, where does like, the fighting? You've seen happen? them going around like um, Salisbury and like mm. journalists going up to people, just got the idea of like. Jeremy Corbyn says that we should make peace with the Russians. We should discuss things with them. It's like, well, I'm from Salisbury and I say kill them all. <laughs> Can't make peace with the bugs. <laughs> like, you'll have it on Newsnight with them talking and they'll be like, I don't know, they'll probably have Daniel Personally, Fink. I find the notion that a Russian thinks offensive. Yeah, you have Daniel Finkelstein on one side saying that. And on the other side, I don't know, um, Shabby Chakrabarty. Paul, Paul, like... Paul Mason for for balance. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know that that's going to happen. Yeah, Paul Mason will be Paul there. Mason will be on Question Time, let's say three weeks. Four weeks, maybe. After it's calmed down a bit. No, he'll be on before that. You reckon? Okay. Yeah. He'll be on before that. And he'll he'll literally be there wearing camouflage fatigues with the um, the black the like black bits underneath the eyes. But completely destroyed by a Union Jack tattooed in the middle of his head. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he responded. He responded really, really quickly in a really unnerving way. That's because he's got a lot of email alerts for is there war happening? Because it's <laughs> yeah. the only time he can ever get off. <laughs> um, he like recorded a video of himself in like a hotel room, and it's like um, uh, HMG, Her Majesty's government should cancel and reverse defence cuts tomorrow. Mm. And it's just like, how is it? The Tories, the Tories, hmm. the cabinet, yeah. the government, the rest of the time. And when something that is definitely not going to lead to a war hmm. happens, it's Her Majesty's government fucking wrapping himself in the flag. And suddenly he's all respectful of the thing that, you know, Corbyn wants to take over and change. I can't remember I his... do not get what it. What was his stance on Iraq? Uh, but he was a journalist then, so he probably had to keep it a bit quieter. Yeah, I think so. But... Going on him at the moment, or maybe he just hates Russians because he is an old trot. Maybe he's still got like this bitter enmity because of what happened to Trotsky. Or well, that thing about Putin's—was it Putin's grandfather being Stalin's <laughs> chef? Yeah, because you know what? You know what passes through bloodlines—the desire to poison. They're just genetically bad. Yeah, yeah. Let's posit some ideas of like that kind of shit. That's fine. Oh, it's, yeah. Paul Mason is a fucking chump. He needs to be gone from the Labour Party yeah. now, surely. He did, I don't know. The thing is, is, he a mem- is he a member? Yeah, he's a fucking member. Um, he's bound to be. Um, but he's definitely. It's there was a bunch of the other ones. Um, Chris Leslie was coming out again, mm-hmm. uh, in you know in favour of John Woodcock know. was briefing. Yeah, well, John, yeah. John Woodcock does because you know there'll be more work at the Trident place near him for them to not use. Yeah, because if you use it, like that's it. No, I don't okay. think you understand. Because there'll be multiple times that you reload nuclear missiles during a nuclear war. <laughs> also, here's hoping. <laughs> it's just a giant six-shooter. Yeah. Just with one <laughs> Trident missile in each of the barrels. They would just fire off the White Cliffs. It's, these people are in the Labour Party are so... They're the reason why I'm still not a member of the yeah. Labour Party. They're the reason why I really despise them for most of my life. <laughs> And to have, like, Paul Mason, who I was getting really annoyed with, come out and be exactly the same as them is it's kind of funny, but also really really grim. I mean, well, um, they, they... Corbyn were... was good um, when Theresa May did her yeah. speech, which James O'Brien described as 
strong and stable and her finest political oh, moment. Oh, God. And it's like, what? Oh. It really wasn't. It's so, it's so weird when you've been through a few of these cycles now. Oh. And I mean, I think we mentioned it, we might have mentioned it uh, before, the last time there was uh, some kind of like imminent danger to the British Isles. Yeah. Like specious Spain. imminent danger. <laughs> yeah, it, actually, no, it was. It, it probably was. Mm. Um, th- when you've been through a few of these cycles and it's like every single pundit gets so crazy and like panicked and exhilarated mm. at the chance that they might get to be like Orwell mm. or or something like that. It's like there was a that we mentioned it last week the uh oh actually no we didn't mention it last week sorry. We may, we were going to do it this week but we bumped it because we we didn't think we'd have enough time but the David Quantic um, oh yeah thing of like um oh I saw someone taking a selfie of a coffee god help us if there's a war, if a war happens. And it's like do you have to? Because you you look at your best. You look best manicured when you're in a jet. Yeah. <laughs> and also, like all of this stuff from a generation, probably two or three generations, that has never even come close to a major war. Mm. That's exactly what you want, isn't it? A fucking fifty year old comedy writer. <laughs> you know, yeah. on the front line. Yeah. He's so prepared for a war, as opposed to all these like snowflake selfie taking millennials. It's this amazing notion that people who fought in the First World War and the Second World War didn't care about their appearance. Because I'm pretty certain, like, even, like, even Vikings combed their hair. <laughs> yeah, I, like, I, in, like, I link um, the First World War with, like, pomade and stuff like that, you know? Like, exactly. It's, um, it's, it's, it's just stupid old fucking boomers. There was, um, not boomers. F- um, well, it's, it, the yeah, thing is, it, it, spread, it, it definitely spreads downwards as well, because, like, there was that article in the New Statesman today. Hmm. Um, John Elledge um, talking about how the First World War started with an assassination in Sarajevo. The way things are going, the third might start with an attempted murder in the Salisbury branch of Zizi. And it's like, yeah, I mean, like... Finish what the next bit of that was. Do you remember the next bit? Because I sent it to you earlier. It was the, um, to really piss off oh. Putin, we should reverse Brexit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That wasn't what I was going for. I was going for the, like, yeah, the First World War was like this multipolar... Um, conflict of interest between a load of different imperial pa- competing imperial powers and like if you're looking at like this landscape today frankly like britain and russia getting on probably mm. has a lot more to like if a world war started now chances are britain and russia would be on the same side mm. because i mean let's face it we launder all their money yeah. they're oligarchs money we take all their money mm. and uh and then turn on them that, so, you know. um, that having a go at corbyn for bringing up um, Russian money and the Conservative mm. Party as well is the idea that I'm sorry politics is suspended there will be no politics today <laughs> politics suspended you must all fold into line rather than there's a woman sabre rattling perhaps we should bring up the fact that she's taken I think it was since the Brexit vote Yeah, it's something like £846,000 has come from Russian sources to the Tory government Yeah, that's that's an interesting thing wasn't that the like the part of the global economy that everyone was sold on that mm. because everyone was so inextricably linked in this web of money flow and corruption <laughs> that they would never declare war on each other? It's like it's not yeah. like the old days where you can just take their money and then turn on them. <laughs> it's not like a client relationship here. <laughs> yeah, the the whole notion of unity government, all that kind of crap. It really just it's the extent to which they so quickly surrender themselves mm. to it, and it's like whoa, 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 like. There hasn't even been any investigation. Russia's mm. not good. Mm. I wouldn't say that personally. But, like, 
the investigation hasn't even been finished yet. It might have been. It pretty much does. The balance, like the balance, Russia. the balance of evidence that yeah. from what has been released so far looks like it might have been. But also, you might ask who uncorked this little genie of extrajudicial assassinations, and what made the Russians feel like mm. they can assassinate their own citizens on foreign soil. Mm. You might look into some of the legal <laughs> and political kind of roots of that <laughs> attitude, and why suddenly it might seem okay. No. Fucking. Also, there's that thing of Quantic and Mason and those kind of people. Yeah. If there, if we go to war with Russia, and say we had conscription again, mm. they wouldn't be conscripted. No. And I can say it right <clears throat> now. I'll kill British soldiers before I'm fucking conscripted. Yes. I'm not going the way of um, my ancestors. <laughs> I'm not going to be shot. I'm, not gonna, I'm literally going to... I will, will be shot, probably. Yeah. But <laughs> I will be taking a lot of them with me. <laughs> no, that's the thing. It's like it's such an it, oh, old, and it is. It's the old gammon men. Yeah, happily they'll say like, oh, you know, you got to vote conservative because otherwise we're we're dooming dooming the next generation to death. Yeah, but then they'll be happily signing off fucking warrants of sending them to war. Yeah, oh, and they won't even re. They won't even. And the thing is, if there was like that kind of war, there won't be like poetry for like descendants to talk about. It'll be like SoundCloud raps. Which would be awesome. <laughs> but yeah, that's from Russia. It'll be because um, oh, that's tonight. It's tonight that they've got to um, um, have their response by midnight. Oh yeah, that was what Boris said, wasn't it? He said, yeah, because... response by midnight. All this like fake brinkmanship, and it's like, yeah. oh, these are truly the times that test men's souls. It's like you ain't gonna do shit, mate. Mm. You are gonna do fucking nothing because you can't do anything. No, they will do there something. is nothing they'll do something to be re- done. They'll do something really dangerous. They'll do something that will show that Britain is a country not to be feared. As someone on LBC said, when that someone, um, I think it was Nigel Farage was interviewing someone, and he was like, yeah, I was, I've always said, don't poke the Russian bear. And this, this um, bloke who called in said, don't poke a lion either. And it's like, in oh. what way are we lions? But, um, oh, we're just a fucking, like, no, we're a fucking nation of, like, second-rate Instagram poets <laughs> and, like, copywriters. Because it's like, I'll do, I'll do the little postscript that will go on the recruitment poster. Because <laughs> that's all they're fucking good for. Russia will never be able to come back from us kicking out three of their diplomats. <laughs> yeah. They will be, they will hang their heads in shame. Shame. <laughs> when we send a couple of them back that will probably go back in a month or two anyway. <laughs> It's just dumb. I know who consistent, who are consistently like prepared for that kind of thing because that's yeah. literally what happens every time. Yeah. Oh, but yeah. yeah. So yeah, it would be interesting to find out what happens when the death clock hits midnight. Of course, yeah. Boris has to be a fucking drama queen about it as well. Yeah. It's like not yeah, like by end of close of business. Just like you know, talk to me tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. You know, because like, realistically, is the Russian embassy going to be working that much past six? I wouldn't. Well, no. If you if you put if you put the um the, hours, if you put the ex- <laughs> it's not more my job's worth, mate. <laughs> yeah. If you put the go little, talk to my the little, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> we talk about Russia. this crazy <laughs> fantasy of any of us talking to a union official before we get to do anything. No, yeah, you send the email, but if you put the little exclamation mark and the red flag, and the urgent in capital letters. You know, this person has asked for the British Embassy has asked for a receipt. It's going to be that Russia hasn't responded because they just immediately went to spam because Boris typed it all in all caps. (laughs) Yeah, so what else happened this week? Um, So we wanted to talk about the Tommy Robinson video. Oh, that's pretty funny. Yeah. So um, Tommy Tommy Robinson Robinson got um, last week. Supposedly, and he punched a black guy in the face. 
Yeah, he recorded because he works for Rebel Media now. If that I think he Canadian, does, or he might have left I, Rebel Media. I think he, I think he still works for them. They've had a load of people leaving. They're like an alt right, um, Breitbart-y kind of new media outfit. Oh, they got Yeah, I think he might have left now. But they had like Lauren Southern hmm. as well, although she's left. Yeah. <laughs> but they're they're you know standard defensive Western civilization kind of trying to hip up, hip up the Nazis. Yeah. Uh, dress them in different clothes, uh, which Tommy Robinson clearly refuses to do. <laughs> um, and he's been he's been working for them. So his whole job is to find like meme worthy and like viral content yeah. that's really really racist. Yeah. And last week he went to Italy to um, interview um, at, like African refugees and and people to poke who, them with sticks until they hit who've him. been affected and then he, by yeah. that. And, and he uh, lost his temper first. And oh, and then um, and then redub the video so it looked like the guy. Even though the guy you could understand the guy, hmm. um, redub the video so it looked like it was a threat, more <laughs> more of a threat than it was. That was a fucking idiot. Um, and he came back this week. Um, he was in the so he was he, outside of McDonald's he, in Harringay. He alerted that he was uh, in North London and that he had been attacked. He didn't say Harringay at first. Hmm. He wouldn't say where he was. Um, and said, I have just been assaulted by Antifa video coming soon. Mm. And he said, um, is it Kylo, Kylan Robertson said, Kylan Robertson? Or, oh, I can't remember his name. The one, the other Colin one. Robertson. Colin. All right. Okay, Colin. I'm going to anglicise his name <laughs> like he wants. <laughs> um, he said, like, the video's coming in two hours. And then I was furiously checking up. Mm. And everyone was furiously checking up. And I think it was like three hours before they did a really small clip of it. Yeah, so he he te- he teased it. So he did the like the the slow release of the campaign, like the ad agencies do. Yeah, <laughs> like teaser video for a yeah. for a trailer that then, that's then for a film. Mm. Um, and he put out this YouTube video, and it's fucking hilarious. Mm. So it it starts with kind of um, lots of shaky hand lots of shaky hand cams, more than one, mm. like three. Yeah, and. It starts with like a load of hooded men coming yeah, in. Yeah, hooded men with scarves around their faces, and him saying, "Come on, mates, one on one, one on one." No, uh, for, but first off, hmm. um, his female um, camera operator, she's not named, um, is outside, and she's like hassled in a very like, I I don't know how to put it other than fake. <laughs> if Antifa were like really the brutal kind of. Um, violent people mm. that um he makes the way he makes them out is that she was like she was bad she was that it's like no she wasn't no. she was pushed to the ground and held as she fell to the ground mm. while she like grabbed their hoods and to make sure off. that none of their <laughs> faces were exposed yeah um they hassled them for the camera they hassled someone else for a camera but they let then, them have the camera they let them keep the camera still they didn't take uh, yeah there, there were multiple angles on this thing mm. um and they look like expensive like dsl 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 cameras like not just mobile phone cameras Um, and like Tommy Robinson is still in this McDonald's Mm. and like they go up to the doors don't get inside the doors because Mm. then it would be a fray (laughs) (laughs) you know that kind of thing and he comes out and he's like almost like all ready and he's like oh come on and one on one one on one Mm. and they proceed to like rush him he throws a few punches at the backs of their backs. Yeah, on their backs and on their arms. And, and like that down. thing of where, you know, this is going to work great for a podcast, but you know when you normally throw a punch, you throw it straight? Mm. Yeah, he was He was like, with, like hammering. The base of his fist. Yeah, like hammering with the back of his fist. Um, like he, he didn't want to hurt He them. falls to the ground in what seems to be a fucking accident. Yeah. And then they're all like, kind of, they stop. 
And then they kind of like put their leg out a little bit as if it looks like they're kicking him. Mm. But they're not making like, they are not making any contact. I refuse to believe it. The second aspect of this is you look at the Antifa themselves. They've got one, a couple of them, they got them right. Because they have, they look kind of like students. They've got like long scarves and those long uh, things. And one of them's wearing like brown brogues, who doesn't appear to be doing any of the kicking. <laughs> There's one guy who's in like um, a like a sportswear Mac kind of thing. Fat old middle aged man. <laughs> like I'm not going to judge anti far. I you know you can't you can't tell. <laughs> Don't tend to be fat middle aged men. Nazis tend to be fat middle aged men from beer drinking. Yeah. <laughs> They don't. And then there was this other guy who you only get around the back, and I'd like immediately drawn to him, as I'm always drawn to uh, <laughs> men being filmed from the back. So he's got this like bomber jacket on. Again, mm. Antifa known for their bomber jackets. And he it comes down French to like it comes down to his um does it? The um the French anti fascist stuff again, in the nineteen eighties. Again, I can't typecast any of this stuff, but I get if you watch it, I got this feeling from it. Hmm. And maybe you will too. I got a feeling that it was all fake. Either fake or... Well, because for a start, he's fine. Um, Tony yeah. Robinson was fine. It was like barely yeah. a bruise on him. Yeah. And it happened just before he was about to give a speech on how, um, how you know, violent the yeah. left are. Oh, um, um, let me finish this thing oh, yeah. on this, this, this guy, right? This guy was like quite tall. He looked quite well built underneath hmm. the thing. And like the bomber jacket only came up to like his belt line. And like his jeans were really like tight and tailored. And the like way they were his clothes for when he was in his twenties. <laughs> yeah, but like the way he wasn't fat or anything, he just looked like solid, like a Nazi. And there was something about the way he walked he just felt as like well. A Nazi. You know, like pro- like like proper like men who think they're hard cases hmm. walk the way they strut, like Danny Dyer. Um, no, even Danny Dyer doesn't do that because he was like he he does the he does the like the backwards like Cockney oh, walk. Cocky, yeah. Whereas this guy was like like head forward, like shoulders out. He was like that. He had the leather gloves on. And it was like nothing about this screams like hmm. left wing. I know I'm going way too into fashion here. Yeah. But it gave off a stink. Well, the main thing it I was had was m- that he's fine. And all I could think is like, um, I think it was Red Action hmm. who broke into a National Front meeting right at the start, bolted the door... Yeah. Beat up everyone inside and tied them to chairs, and then each time the door was knocked by another Nazi, they'd throw them down the stairs, kick the shit out of them, tie them to a chair, while one bloke extolled them on the virtues of communism, which is <laughs> pretty funny. Um, but mainly, all the stuff like, like they, when you beat someone up and they get to the floor, yeah, they tend to come off with with a couple of marks at least. And then he goes to the, yeah. and then Tony Robinson goes in the video. He goes to the police. Yeah, and they they sort of just go like, "What? Well, you know, have you filed a complaint?" He's like, "Well, no, I'm not about that." And it's like, you, you are, you are literally yeah. about that. That was the whole point of this, wasn't <clears throat> it? Yeah, but you want, but you want to try and tar Antifa in the court of public opinion. Yeah. Um, whereas the police would actually investigate it and probably find out that they're your mates. That's what I had. Well, also they were immediately. Uh, it was immediately followed up by like. Like James Dellingpole um, retweeting that like 4chan were using like facial identification, and it just so happened that a load of them tweeted a load of Labour activists. No, interesting that. I imagine the crossover between people who support Jeremy Corbyn and are um, anti-fascists and do violent anti-fascist action. Mm-hmm. I think there is a probably a crossover. I think there's a very a very tiny, if not 
non-existent crossover between Labour Party members. Oh, Labour Party activists. Yeah. Like the one guy who they were On a tweeting. Saturday I door knock, on a Friday I'm down, you know? Yeah. I'm beating up. Like, it was like um, the Vidal Sassoon thing of like, on a Monday morning he'd be cutting women's hair in Chelsea and then on a Friday night he'd be cutting people with a razor blade. I don't think they're doing that, you know, like door knocking, yeah. <laughs> door knocking to try and unseat Ian Duncan Smith one day. <laughs> Stalking Tommy Robinson to a McDonald's in Harringay the next. It's not believable. And you know, if you are, like, good on you. Yeah, well good done. on you. Yeah, well, well done. done. Doing two good things. Yeah, you can you can <laughs> like you can multitask, you manage people we need <laughs> in this in this movement. In Brexit Britain. <laughs> yeah, in Brexit Britain. Yeah. Um I also saw that Lauren Southern, because you mentioned it, um yeah, she got detained, didn't she? <laughs> Did she, she? Yeah, she got detained because she's a massive racist and she wanted to do racism. Um <laughs> and then she got kicked out of the country and we believe Nawaz that. defended her. <laughs> Because Majid Nawaz is the most rational of all rational men. Our suspi- my suspicions were first ar- raised when you appeared to have two litres of pig's blood <laughs> secreted in your luggage. You said you were just I believe going. that you may be a disruptive influence <laughs> yeah. in the United Kingdom. Yeah, um, it's, yeah, it's funny watching Majid Nawaz do it again. He loved, he's so in love with Nazis. It's so great. Yeah, he's he's that it's it's that crossover bit, isn't it, where the anti-Islam the anti-Islam kind of thing gets very cloudy when you get to Majid Nawaz because obviously he is Muslim hmm. and is still a you know, he's not like one of the ex Muslim movement who, hmm. you know, like go no. around doing like right wing talk talk stuff. No, he just has his radio show where he tells, it, tells everyone that um the left are, are worse than Tommy Robinson. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so that's Tommy Robinson mm. faking, staging a wrestling show. Yeah, yeah, that was what I wanted to bring up. The reason we're such experts in this <laughs> is because we watch a hell of a lot of wrestling. We what know, you... we can tell like when it's fake but shoot fighting, which means real. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, I've seen, yeah, most Japanese wrestling I've seen looks way more realistic than that. Yeah. Significantly more. Yeah. Yeah. His head doesn't even like ping back. No. Nothing no. like that. No, he's. Done. He doesn't like. He doesn't defend himself either. Like he doesn't at sell. all. And, and the worst. He doesn't, sell, he doesn't sell. He's a very greedy. You know, <laughs> went into business for himself. Put himself over. Went, put himself over. Went into business for himself on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Vince is going to be furious. <laughs> yeah. So what, what's next? Yeah. What else we got? Um, do you see you? Yeah, because that was today. Yeah. Um, the, um, there was. What's it? The offer. So. Uh, University Sorry. lecturers have been on um, on strike for the last ten days, I think. Mm. Um, there's been a plan from some of the major universities in the UK uh, to cut pensions and uh, make their working conditions much worse. Yeah, which is already bad. Which is bad. already bad. Like I like I have like a horrible thing of like I have two things that I can't read in media. One is um, house horror stories, like. Uh, like rental horror mm. stories, I find them very triggering. Mm. Um, and the second is um, like assist, like assistant lecturer level, because like my dream when I was going through university, I wanted to be a lecturer. Mm. I really wanted to do the PhD, do the research, and be a history lecturer. Um, literally, I had four weeks as like assisting with a class, and it put me off for life because I talked to one of the lecturers who's about 40. He's like, well, I'm on a one-year contract here in, in <laughs> Leicester and then it's off to Exeter. <laughs> and it's like, no, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing no. that. So I'm very triggered by like those kind of things, like maybe in a kind of like grateful way, <laughs> like mm. hope, like 
thank God I didn't go down that path, got away. But yeah. like, you hear some of the fucking horror stories from like, yeah, they've they have to have second jobs, they can't make ends meet, they can't afford to, and it's not even London. It's mm. they can't afford to rent in the places they are. They have to go to multiple unis if there's more than one uni in the area. Mm. They have to like do the volu- like do the rounds, yeah which involves all kinds of travel costs and travel time and all that. And it's just, it sounds fucking horrible. Mm. And rightly, they are now striking against... Because they were getting another thing like Those shitty work conditions, yeah. yeah. And um, UCU, I can't remember the name of the woman who's in charge. But um, she came back to oh, them this um, morning with a deal. Susan Hart? Last, Susan like Hart sounds right. But, um, yeah, last Bad night, with names. Last night, came, last night or this morning came to them with a deal. Yeah. And as of now... It's been rejected by the membership completely. Yeah. Which is good. I was reading up some of the things. It was like, um, well, basically, we'll just keep things as they are for three years, except mm. we'll make your pension worse. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> you all have to take the, you have to take it on the chin, the lost hours from when you were striking. It's there. Is, they made it so that it was the lecture, it would be the lecturer's responsibility for lost teaching time. And it's like, Apparently that you don't do that because of a strike, you do that because of illness. And there's yeah. been there's been all kinds of really sketchy stuff come out around this this strike, like um, getting teaching assistants um, to go in and monitor the classes to see if they um, turn up, and and like taking names and things like that. All of which is very explicitly illegal. Mm. But the it's yeah. the the bug, the neoliberal bug has got well into the universities. Yeah. It's like one we've said it before, it's like one of the last bastions mm. for a while where you could kind of not you wouldn't have to necessarily deal with that. You wouldn't wouldn't be as fully marketized. Mm. But yeah, it's all in there now. But so they're going back on strike? Yeah. Well, they are on. they are remaining on strike, yeah. yes. Good. As of now. Which is awesome. All solidarity. Hope you win. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, because otherwise it's just going to get worse. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, that's all we've really got to say about that. Yeah. And then we're on to, um, our, oh yeah, our main thing. Yeah, um, so, yeah. What was it that made us start thinking about this? So a couple of weeks ago we were talking about how bad Tories are on social media. Hmm. And, like, uh, I had, like, a little note about the fact that it's obviously a larger problem within the Tory party because they never fully dealt with, um, the legacy of Cameron. The death. Hmm. The death. Yeah, him leaving. They've never quote. They've never quite dealt with it, mm. and it kind of led me to think. It's like, you know how when Tony Blair left, mm. there was all these kind of like um, uh, post mortems mm. and books and all that kind of thing written about for all those people he killed. <laughs> um, but yeah, there was lots of stuff talking yeah. about what he did, what he did, and what he meant. The man, and, and the myth, yeah. mainly the myth, and what would come next. Mm. Now, admittedly, there wasn't quite as much on Gordon Brown but I'm thinking you know same party same party similar kind of direction he was only there for a bit and was kind of seen as a a more bumbling thing I think at first people thought Gordon Brown was going to be a bit more left wing but (laughs) to be honest his kind of reaction all gets caught up in the recession and the credit crunch and everything so that's probably why he doesn't have a Mm. a big kind of uh, like load of literature about his legacy Mm. but that I was thinking about it like nobody has really done like there were immediate breakdowns of Mm. What happened to Cameron? Like, like what Cameron meant, what he was. There are yeah. a few books that came out during his time. Yeah. But not a lot on... There, there hasn't been a great deal on him having left a void. You know this stuff that they usually talk about? When Thatcher goes and, and when Blair goes. Yeah. He's not talked about in those terms. And no, I know, obviously, he's nowhere near as 
as significant as them. But I still think it's like slightly odd mm. that the Tories definitely have not dealt with him leaving. No. And politics in general, other than um, Corbyn, they haven't properly dealt with that either. No. Um, so he resigned on uh, 24th of June 2016, um, the day after the referendum, obviously. He resigned his seat as well on the 12th of September of uh, 2016. So he fully left politics. Yeah, he, he didn't. He, he didn't hang around to make sure like his politics would remain in the Tory party. Now I don't know whether he counted on May or Osborne to kind of continue his his like legacy, but it just speaks to something lacking in him as a politician. And I just thought it's worth going over like the things he did and what he meant to British capitalism and what he meant to kind of British politics overall. Yeah. Um. So when he came in, in he became uh, leader in like 2005, I think it was, 2006. He was leader for a long time. Um, and like we got told, like he, they, he's probably had more like stuff written about his personality mm. than a lot of other politicians. Yeah. A lot, like, a lot of had, his background probed and things like that. They had to talk about his personality yeah. because it was, that was like, because who was it before him? It was the folks, the Michael Howard. Uh, yeah, Michael yeah. Howard before him. And so... It was properly trying to detoxify the Tories, and that was like yeah. his main goal. And one of the main yeah. goals of doing that is say, "Look at me, I'm, aren't I a nice guy?" Yeah, and I'm the heir to Blair, which I would have been frankly mortified if, like, I was his like election agent or whatever, and he actually said that because that like speaks to a massive amount of hubris. Maybe that's yeah part of the thing. Um, but he was sold as this kind of like modern politician he was like he wasn't as dogmatic even as tony blair you know he was not of the old school he was the next generation of like professional politicians yeah um yeah there's a bit from um richard seymour which is one of the few really good books on on him as like a person and his relationship to kind of class politics and mm. things like that um it was like he's he said uh, richard seymour said He's part Blair, part Thatcher, a one-nation conservative with a soft spot for social democracy. The Green Movement, big and small business, youth, minorities, traditionalists, the armed forces, and the old. Has a politician ever been sold as so many things to so many people at home in fashion magazines as he is at party conferences? Mm. And, yeah, that yeah. definitely makes, like, I think, kind of like, sums him up. It was easy for him to do that because it was all artifice. Because at his core, he's nothing. Yeah, I think there is... A... It's... He's, he's. That, you know that way, like um, the way people talked about Obama and Hillary, and like Hillary supporters talk about Hillary Clinton. Um, yeah. And to some extent, some people with Corbyn, but not most. Yeah. Where they put their idea of what they are on them, mm. um, to the point of doing the Corbyn, work for them in much the same way, like a Darren Aronofsky film. Yeah. Corbyn hasn't had to do it so much, like. It's barely mentioned that he's been married multiple times and, you know, hmm. he has, has a number of kids. Whereas Cameron pushed those all to the forefront. He was like that Blair mould where it's like, I'm not just selling you the Labour Party, I'm actually selling you me and my family hmm. at the top of the but tree. then people put on like, well, you know, he must be nice because he's nice to his kids. Yeah, yeah. And all that kind of shit. Like, you know, the, oh, look, he left his kid at the pub. Everyone's done that. Yeah. And all that kind of, it's like all these weird little things that, have absolutely no bearing on him mm. as a politician. He almost had that like um, William and Kate mm. thing about him. Like this, his social position is so far away from what most of us, almost all of us, mm. could ever hope to even experience. Mm. I've never even been around those people. 
You know what I mean? Mm. The the Ox, the Oxfordshire gentry people. Mm. Um, but he's you know he's relaxed. He's he's this modern nobleman. He's uh, at home, so, you know, so you at home in the country, at home in the city. You of know, course that he kind is, because he owns it. Yeah, yeah, Do but that, 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 like, um, sense that the aristocracy in this, 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 like, comfort that the aristocracy in this country mm. have, that they have experience of owning things. Mm. And so whenever they walk into a thing, it's like, that's something I could own. And that is a, that's a, definitely a class-born confidence that he, he carried off really, really well. Yeah. I say, well... Well, yeah, he did. If it I say any, here's the thing: if I say anything positive about David Cameron, just know that like I hate him. Yeah. Too. Well, no, it's like the bottom of my soul. I think he's almost everything wrong with British society. Yeah. And has been for the last two hundred years. But if he does something well, I'm not going to pull any punches. Well, yeah, he he he's really he was really good at pretending yeah. he wasn't a lizard. Hmm. He's really good at that. He was really good at pretending that he gave a toss about his dead son. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he cared as much as you can care with a cold lizard heart. <laughs> he's um his other like when we're talking about his personality, the other thing he projected was so under Blair you had the rise of those um the W one A people. Hmm. Do you know what I mean when yeah, I the, say that? The TV like, shows the the, pro- the professionals. Yeah. In most towns there will be a class. In some towns there'll be less than others, but I mean in mm. London obviously it's fucking dripping with yeah. the modern professional middle class. Mm which is not quite as secure as the professional middle class used to be, mm. but still has a certain, like, it has cultural power mm. because it fucking, like, owns all the media and yeah. decides what's in the media and decides what's on the BBC. Um, but he was kind of like an idealised version of that. So it's like, yeah, he's got the he's got the four kids, so you know he's got no problems, mm. like, in his sex life. Mm. He's got a wife who, like... Um, is at his side. From Charles II. And yeah, she's got that kind of like po- like possibly even posher wife than him. Was he posher than him? I don't know. I think she, he's re- he was he's related to the queen. Yeah. But she's related to Charles II. Yeah. So it's like it depends on which side you come in the conflict between royal lines in Britain. <laughs> and that says it all. <laughs> it's um, why he could win the media over so easily because he was so like them. Mm. He was so recognizable to them whereas to I think people like us well, he worked in the media as well, didn't he? He worked to, um, to RT, the thing. Um, uh, he worked. He worked for Granada, Granada before it went it, yeah. under. Yeah, he worked um, there for a little bit. Yeah, before he just went into politics. Um, but yeah, there is that. The of course they they know all these. They they know people like this. Of course they do. And they it's like school, yeah, you know, he's, he cycles to work because he made a decision. He went on a diet because he made a decision. You know mm. that kind of they're the taste makers of this country. Like and it's in all of its like banal mm. sterile glory of what culture is right now. But he also had that kind of, there was that implicit recognition that he was higher up than you. Oh, yeah. And it kind of allowed him to get away with a lot of the other stuff that he did. So he's the kind of guy who made you feel all right that you wouldn't let your kids go to the bad school with all the bad kids. Do you know what I mean? No, go on. So he, the inequality that came out of the Blair era... Mm. He kind of just if he was an exemplar that as long as you were a good person, as long as you donated to the right causes, as long as you said the right things about the green stuff, and again, mm. you had the right diets and things mm. and exercise regimes and things like that, you couldn't feel so bad about keeping your kids away from a particularly bad oh, yeah. school. Yeah. That's what I'm yeah. trying to say. You could um yeah. you justify people's selfishness. Yeah. You know, like it's okay to keep your, your kids away educationally, socially, mm. ideologically away from those kids, because don't worry. 
I've got schemes. Yeah. I regret to inform you, there are no schemes. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> that's the thing. Oh, that's the thing. The, oh, when he came in, the big society. Mm. Glorious. I wanted to, yeah. Yeah. Beautiful big society. I wanted to think, okay, we'll get into that. Like, oh, the, he could shamefacedly. <laughs> Yeah. And the media would lap it up. Yeah. Announce that everyone's oh, yeah. going to work for free. Oh yeah, he's a really big. He's a really big thinker. He's got some. He's got some good ideas. Some good modern unpaid labour. Modern, modern <laughs> ideas. Um, he was definitely fashion. Like before the recession, he was kind of a very weak mimic of Tony Blair. Mm. And then after the recession, he was kind of the only unbroken thing left. Mm. I think in many ways. He had to go. In, he went into coalition with the Liberal Lib Dems, which, despite both sides bitching about how much like they either did or didn't do get to do hmm. during the coalition, like I imagine to most of the Liberal tastemakers in this country, like going into coalition with the Lib Dems was like, oh, it's a very grown up move, very yeah, sensible move. Yeah. So it detoxified him further. Yeah. yeah, and that all that stuff with his family and this like this desperate projection of the idea that he's a good guy. Mm. It helps. It also helps him detoxify the Tory party because he can tell his base to fuck off. Yeah. In a certain way, like with gay marriage mm. and with the like the early stuff, the hugger hoodie stuff, mm. that he got a load of shit for. Yeah. He can feasibly come out and say that he's a liberal. The UKIP vote went up and up and up and up and up. Yeah. Because of the old Tory cranks leaving him. Mm. I mean, nobody, everyone was talking about the kind of positive... Oh, he's he's so good at social media. He's so good at like electioneering, and he's such a canny political operator. Nobody mentions that literally no what no other party in the country was opposing anything that he did. Yeah, he had no opposition until two thousand and fifteen. Yeah, and I'm sorry, even who was Ed, the Labour leader after um, was Harriet Harman was. Like, uh, it was Ed Miliband. It was after Gordon Brown. It was Harriet Harman as interim Miliband leader. leader. Ed Miliband was leader in like two thousand eleven. Really. All the way through. And he had problems because he was... There was all the stuff about Red Ed. Yeah, I remember all that um, stuff. And but, he had to, like... There, there was that fallout from the fact that he was elected by the... Un- that they tried to pin the whole... Yeah. Un- the same thing they've done to Corbyn now. Yeah. They tried to tar him with the union brush, with the Red Ed stuff, mm. with his dad. Yeah, I remember the stuff of his dad. That was fucking horrible. And um, it successfully neutered him and pushed him into a centre position that he couldn't compete with Cameron because Cameron had power. Yeah. Yeah. And had more of the the kind of thrust, but yeah, you were saying like his response to the kind of to to the credit crunch mm. was to come out with big society red Toryism mm. for a while and was a big like, thing. It's red in the sense that we're abolishing the notion of wages, <laughs> but it's, it's Tory it's, in that everyone else will be getting their wages. It's red Toryism in that at some point you will have to sell your blood. <laughs> Yeah, so the big society was his his supposed big idea, mm. where he had gotten the best mm. of like not labour think tanks <laughs> to come up with something that was an attempt at kind of a Victorian social democracy without the socialism, mm. without reforming the economic system. Yeah. You don't need to reform the economic system if you can reform yourselves. <laughs> yeah. And it was had this it was supposed to on the surface because all of his stuff was skin deep had this emphasis on like mutualism, co-ops, mm. v- the voluntary sector. Like 
I don't think anybody was fooled. I think a lot of people oh, have. Fell on his ass. I think. A, I think a lot of people have like discussed Victorian literature and Victorian society enough to recognise that that's what he was going for. He's going for the charity school. Yeah. He's going for um, soup kitchens, mm. like run by churches, yeah. because that's enough for the proles. That's enough for them. That's what they need. They need something wholesome in their lives because they're such fucking degenerates otherwise. Yeah. And it's again all about pinning that like moral responsibility for ultimately for the credit crunch mm. onto what the working class mm. onto the poorest people um so he's he's kind of continuing thatcher's project and like kind of trying to get those last little bits that had survived blair mm. but kind of trying to fudge it all over by saying well we'll take the state away and we'll give you this yeah kind of not recognizing or maybe recognizing and not caring that like I don't like the term like dependency culture because it has a moral tone to it, mm. but ultimately there's a load of places in this country that have not survived the post in, like post industrialism. No, they have not survived as going livable places, going livable concerns economically anyway. Mm. Have not survived the decline of like big industry. Yeah, and if you take that state aid away, people are going to starve. Mm. People. Uh, but well, yeah, started, it's not, it's not, the thing is, it's like dependence, but it's not talking about like people who are choosing to be unemployed to live off sweet, sweet, yeah, benefits. yeah, yeah. It's that's talking what more I mean. like yeah, um, yeah. Remploy factories, which they did shut down. Mm. Um, the, the, the factories for people with disabilities, yeah. And there was a, I think there were a bunch in, there was, a, there was at least one in South Wales, yeah, but like shutting them down, yeah, like what they can do. Mm. It, it's, it's not, it's not the people of those towns' responsibility. Because they live in a capitalist system and do not have the, do not have control of their own labor, do not have control of their own uh, ability to, to to kind of sell their own labor. Mm. Or uh, hold on, they do not have control of their own labor in the sense that they require capitalism to come and in order for them to be able to sell their labor, yeah. right? And if they don't have that, that's not their responsibility mm. and their fault. That's capitalism's fault for yeah. not providing a livable situation. Yeah, which ultimately we as like socialists marxists we don't think it can mm. it at some point it will all fall apart but you cannot blame people for capitalism's failings no. in that regard um, and large parts of this country require state aid in order to even live at a subsistence level yeah um, you couldn't even go back to subsistence because the land's all owned yeah you know <laughs> yeah if you're talking in like apocalyptic like base terms well you need state employers in areas mm. Because you can't expect a bunch... Well, like with the stuff in um, Port Talbot, yeah. with the steel workers at the moment. Yeah. If, that's, if that factory goes down, they're not going to work in IT. And There's no IT there. No, exactly. <laughs> and like, as, aside from anything, they couldn't... Even if you wanted them to get on their bike, there's nowhere for them to go. Mm. Other than maybe London. And even London doesn't have that. No. It doesn't have the capacity to do that. Even if they wanted to. Mm. So like... He kind of had this, big society had this like idealised vision of local petty bourgeois, um, the, the people who, because he kind of blamed the, the working class a lot for their own condition if they were poor, but yeah. he also, if it was in, if it was centred in a particular locality mm. where you can't ignore the fact that capitalism, big capitalism has failed, mm. he kind of also had an implicit like, judgment of the petty bourgeois mm. and the middle classes in those localities that they hadn't done enough mm. so this was his way of say of like trying to mobilize 
small business owners and business owners in like like South Wales or the yeah. North or wherever in order to like do their fair share to mm. take it off of the to take it kind of take the responsibility away from yeah. like large monopoly capitalism yeah to provide solutions for it but even then he gave up on that pretty fucking sharpish because then it was just um free trade zones it, it didn't the tax free um, zones in the weird employment law areas like yeah. Leytonstone that's one of them yeah it didn't come to anything because it's the same logic as gentrification the idea is that yeah. you break down the like with gentrification you break down um, property ownership into smaller lumps and you get um, like artists in there like mm. small business people to make it seem vibrant in order to, for it to be an attractive place for the middle class to move mm. and then those businesses can't survive when an area becomes popular so it gets taken over by massive corporations who Costa. are who are too big to fail yeah and that's what happened with the big society, like the chari- like the th- what was it the f- was it the fourth sector he or he was always going on about the, f- the th- third sector or f- I can't remember whether I give him a stu- I, I'm pretty stu- sure it's third sector, but I also can't remember whether it was fourth sector or whether that was like a thick of it thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was very much thick of it. He's he's that kind of thing, and he was all about like solving like solving what seemed to him to be obvious problems or what he could portray as mm. obvious problems. Example, the bedroom tax. Mm. So if you present it on paper or in a paper, mm. probably more importantly, that people who have council houses are have an extra room mm. in their council house, then it's like, well, it just, it just makes sense for them to you know, pay move tax on it. That a woman if who, they wanted uh, to, they could just move to a smaller house if yeah, they didn't want to pay the bedroom a tax. A woman whose kids have grown up and moved out and her husband's died and she's in this three-bedroom house, of course she should move to a single flat. Mm. Um the problem is there are no single flats. <laughs> yeah. And that was that's it's one of those things of like looking at things barely skin deep. Looking at things very much in his cl- from his class point mm. of view mm. as well. If he's being honest about it mm. um and does actually think that people can just move, then that's like a class perspective purely. Yeah. The like, idea the idea that um well first off that there's enough council houses left that say say for example you live in a f- you like, um, I grew up in a two-bedroom house that was an old council house. Yeah. And say, my my mum and stepdad are on their own now. Mm. And say they're encouraged to move to a single-bedroom one. Mm. Um, they wouldn't have been able to find one in the Medway towns. They probably no. would have had to go miles and miles away. Yeah. there's There are there were all kinds of structural reasons yeah. why these kind of schemes weren't to work and mm. like I imagine when you write it down on paper it's like a very obvious like official mm. af- like efficient kind of thing mm. but it causes untold fucking hardship yeah and then of course he's in the business of managing hardship yeah which due to the lack of opposition up until recently has been very difficult to do I mean you've had a few activist campaigns that have worked the um was the the mums in Tottenham was it the um, occupying the houses in uh, Hackney? Do you remember that? Don't remember that at all. Yeah, it was a load of. It was their. I remember their slogan, which was um, "These people need homes. These homes need people." Oh, okay. Um, it was. It was successful. They got them to like back down from demolishing them and building luxury flats. It was. Good. There's been quite a few successes like that, mm. but largely it's been fucking horrible. Mm. I mean, you see something like Atos. Mm. Which yeah. the horror stories that are still coming out of that it's has still going on and on and on, but it never quite. I mean, uh, uh, we can go into Atos another time, mm. like in depth, mm. but it never 
attached itself to him other than if you were already really mad about it. If you were going to say a nice, like a thing about him being competent, but mm. I don't think he is particularly competent. Mm. But because of some of the people he chose to be his, like, um, yeah, in his cabinet, who took those positions, they were so monstrous to behold, and so they'd had form for their nastiness that obviously yeah. all of the attention would be focused on them. So, like Ian Duncan Smith. Yeah, he um, is a monster. Theresa May, Theresa May with the go home vans. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the bloke who was in charge of the NHS for ages, the bloke who was in charge of the health secretary for uh, ages, Jeremy Hunt. No, it was before him, him. Before him. Before him. Um, who? Who? Chris Grayling. No, no, or is no, that no. him now? No, 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 no. I can't remember. But anyway, so like yeah. Jeremy Hunt's a good example though, yeah. because they're so monstrous and stupid and evil that all the attention goes on to them and none of it goes on to him. Like a Tory prime minister. Doing the things that he did to, like, and I don't really give a toss about them, but the, doing the things that he did to the police, for the police yeah. not to be angry at him, but be angry at Theresa May. And you could yeah. say that, that that's that there's a, probably a lot of reasons why they're angry at Theresa May rather than him. One, that she used to give them speeches where she'd tell them all off. God Next, damn. Rampant misogyny in the police force would lead them to easily, would rather choose to have a girl, a woman than a man. Um, and the other one, oh, she's horrible. Yeah. Like, yeah, if she I'd comes tr- across as as an uh, even more so when she was Home Secretary. Oh, yeah. than, than probably now. Oh yeah, now she has to pretend. Yeah, there's a great um, in that meaning of David Cameron book by Richard Seymour. There's a great line where it said he's very good at delegating nastiness, mm. and none of the stuff stuck to him in the same way that ev- frankly everything stuck to Thatcher. Mm. Thatcher is poison in yeah. the mouths of most people in this country. Mm. I can't name. I, say a lot I can't of people. really name people who are in her cabinet. Um, there's Willie White Law. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah anyway, you'd, you'd yeah, be yeah. able to because. Yeah. But I mean, but everything. I mean, most... What I'm saying is, everything stuck to her. Maybe to Keith Joseph and to Norman Tebbit, hmm. but only because they made very public figures of themselves, almost rivaling her in her stature. Like yeah. her whole thing was everything stuck to her, and yeah. she would force it through whether she liked it or not. She was a mother, and she? you notice it because. Theresa May, when she was scolding the police, mm. she had the Thatcher tag on her, and nothing stuck on Cameron. No, he still had that. Oh, he's just a nice professional. Mm. He's got. He's a bit right wing, but he's he's all right. That yeah. kind of. He's right wing, but I saw him give money to a homeless man. Yeah, that kind of um. He that nice, like bottles. equivocate. Yeah, that equi- a bag for life. Yeah, there's a, that equivocating way that the British middle classes have of accepting almost any monstrosity, as long as everyone gets along. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the politeness thing is a big. You know, I don't, I don't. Like, I'm polite. I don't like, I don't like hammer people a mm. lot. Like if I'm friends with them or whatever, mm. I'm not friends with many Tories, mm. but I don't do that. But like that as a friends society, with a lot of cowardly liberals. Uh, yeah, a lot of them. <laughs> but like as a as like, um, like a, a society as our politics as a society that is fucking dreadful. Mm. And he benefited from that massively. Mm. And it was only really because it started getting very bad just after he won his second election in 2015. Mm. You're talking like Oxfam operating in Wales, in South Wales, and things that had he continued, I think he 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 kind of broke away from it quickly enough that a lot of that stuff didn't didn't attach itself to him even now. Mm. You can look at it intellectually, of course, he is responsible for all that stuff. He was the one who set all those mm. balls in motion, right? But as a kind of 
social figure, as a mm. political figure, he's not going to be remembered for that. No, for that kind of stuff. He's going to be remembered for Europe. If they talked about putting up a statue to him, mm. there wouldn't be the same kind of outcry. Mm. Um, it, no one would care. Yeah, him and George Osborne managed to quite expertly sneak out mm. straight after Brexit. And it's kind of it's affected. If you're talking about the internal kind of dynamics of the Tory party. Mm. It's completely fucked them. Mm. I'm reading um, Tim Shipman. Having talked about it on our award show yeah. uh, just after Christmas, I started yeah. reading Tim Shipman's Brexit book. Mm. And while it's a really kind of like dry, like elitist history, mm. it is very good at demonstrating one thing about the internal dynamics of the Tory party in that all of those young reformers mm. who right now would be fomenting a coup against Theresa May, they've all gone. Mm. they've left with him because they've gone into the private sector because mm. why wouldn't they? They didn't have any politics to start with. They yeah. had a vague allegiance. They have a vague kind of commitment to free market policies. Mm. But they don't, as far as they're concerned, they don't need the Tory party to do that because no. it's so embedded what he's done. He's, he's, he's brought kind of all the outliers that Thatcher left left aside. So you're talking about like, yeah, universities, as we talked about earlier. Mm. Um, disabled people was mm. a, a big one. Mm. You know, um, Thatcher kicking people off of um, unemployment and giving them disability allowance instead. Mm. Um, he started integrating them back into that neoliberal churn, that neoliberal like mm. cruelty, yeah. and but, like really dragging them in, screaming. Yeah, he's he's successfully marketized those people. Mm. He's marketi- marketized all of those small concerns, those small businesses, and he managed to get out of it without any of the human cost really attaching itself to him. Mm. Which, if it weren't so fucking horrible, would be would be remarkable. But then I suppose he's sacrificed any kind of longer legacy because of that. Yeah. It's weird, like... Let's just look at your notes here. Because mm. we had, like... All our lives, we didn't have a referendum. Mm. Until he came into power, that we had three very quickly. Yeah. And I remember the AV one, and the lies... The man. I was still living in Birmingham faced. at that point, and I was right next to a massive billboard of um, more money for our troops. Oh, yeah, Let he needs he needs more. He, he needs, needs body armor, not AV. Yeah, that thing. He needs lawyers to defend him against war crimes, <laughs> not, not alternative voting system. Um, and then the Scottish one, which was that was poisonous, um, and that was that was poisonous, and it's in the same but way. That, and the thing is, those kind of independence votes, they are going to be poisonous. <laughs> And the reason they're poisonous is because of unionists are psychopaths. Yeah. Um, in general, like in all yeah. in all their forms. But what was remarkable about the Scottish referendum was that it wasn't just like with Europe, you had the Brexiteer diehards, right? Yeah. But with the Scottish referendum, you had like what what I would call maybe reachable liberals. Mm. I don't want to use the word sensible, like liberals who have a brain and who usually can be trusted to at least know what's what. Mm. And you had them signing letters, um, writing petitions, doing YouTube videos, tweeting, and talking about how much they were bullied. Really, actually, a dry run for Corbynism. Yeah. And draping themselves in the flag. Draping themselves in the flag. The union. And you had enlisted all of these fucking liberals Mm. in service of the status quo, Mm. regardless of any kind of political like principle that you might have for anyone else. Mm. I mean, admittedly, probably a lot of them. Uh, a kind of interventionists mm. abroad so it's like well you've got this government that these people don't want to be a part of <laughs> and uh, we should probably bomb them until they're not a part of this government anymore you know people who don't who 
it maybe it's a bit much to expect them to have like a fully thought out anti-imperialist like yeah. um, politics like straight straight out. But like you must, they must have some kind of sense that like it seems like a lot of Scottish people that there is a problem that a lot of Scottish people don't want to be part of the union for very well documented reasons, mm. and that maybe going hard on anti-independence is mm. not necessarily. But they were really really going for yeah. it. You know the J.K. Rowling's. The um, Steve Coogan, mm. you know, the Stephen Fry's, those kind of people. And it's like, we love you so much. We want to stay. We're better together. And You can't be trusted on your own. Literally. Do you know yeah, the yeah. Thing, you are the right. Thing, yeah, the, the thing, flip side of better is, together. I think it might have been the trusted. thing. I think the thing that made me like most in favour of Scottish independence is unionists sounded exactly like my grandmother when she was lamenting Kenya becoming independent. Yes. They sounded exactly the same. They said the same things. Because they had all bought into something that I don't think David Cameron originated, but he certainly utilised very successfully in that period of history. And I think we're far away enough from it now that we can identify it specifically. The um, keep calm and carry on period, Mm. where the economy was on that knife, the, the capitalist economy anyway, was on a knife edge. The housing market was was like getting worse all the time. Mm. And culturally you had to be overwhelmed by nostalgia because otherwise it would just be so depressing and so difficult to kind of carry on yeah that you had to have some kind you had to look back and kind of mm. mark that you had this nostalgia this old like imperial kind of stuff mm. marketed at you yeah. as a political tool mm. and he definitely it was the year it was the era of the neo victorian renaissance mm rickets um not letting scotland leave the united kingdom mm. and um tea towels mm. and tea and gin and all those oh. you know associated fetishes yeah that could be marketed to you in a in service of a larger kind of political point and to prove that i'm on the payroll of the russian state yeah vodka is better than gin Oh no, I do like gin. Like I talk a lot of shit about. Well, you would like, say that you voted Lib Dem. I talk. <laughs> you would say that you're a traitor to your class. <laughs> I am. It's true. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a, he's a, he's just a weird one because I don't think he's a, he came out as like as deluded as Blair. He was in many ways Blair's mimic because yeah, he, he definitely copy, he tried to copy with Libya, but he didn't drive himself insane trying to justify it as well. Like he didn't go in. He didn't. He bother. Didn't, well, he, he was. A, like he you can to. see it from the from the referendums. He mm. was a gambler and mm. didn't like to commit himself too far because he saw himself as like the hands on again. It's that part of that comfortable aristocratic outlook mm. he has that like um patri- patriarchal outlook mm. that he never gets his hands dirty. He mm. never. He never does the thing that leads to all of the horror. So mm. he doesn't send troops into Libya, which is something that I think Blair might have tried to do. Mm. He just bombs it. <laughs> because And he was lucky enough that oh, that's all Obama and, every, and France and everyone else was going to do anyway. Mm. But he never quite, he never quite commits mm. to it because I think he doesn't... He, does, he maybe had half an eye on his legacy and not being treated mm. the same as Blair. But also... And, Again, no, like, bigging up for Tony Blair, but he at least committed to his insanity. <laughs> yeah, he did. He committed to horror. He committed to, yeah, he to could, pain. Yeah. It's um, it's probably to do with his patriarchalness, his his aristocratic nature, that he's able to walk away so quickly. Yeah. Because Brexit isn't going to really affect him that much. Yeah. Um. So you know, why would he stay around to? Mm. Watch. But I mean, even you could even see it cracking, like the the whole like like chumminess. Mm. He tried to get tough during the London riots. He was like, 
very, very tough and very, oh, mm. and it's like, no, he wasn't fooling anybody because it wasn't suited to him. But then the thing that always sticks in my mind, do you remember right near the end, I think it was that stabbing at um, well, a tube station mm. and the guy shouted, at, uh, there was a video of the stabber getting arrested mm. and he said, like somebody shouted at him, you ain't no Muslim, bruv. Oh yeah, and he then tried to the following day he like made an announcement in Parliament and he yeah. tried to like mimic it. Yeah, and there was something so it felt like the wheels were coming off then because yeah. it's by then it was so obvious. He was he was so trying to mimic everything around him that mm. he couldn't he couldn't fully attach himself to it. And maybe if he'd lasted, I think if he'd lasted longer, frankly. You talk about Theresa May being terrible, but I think he would have been in exactly the same position. Oh, I think he would have been in the same position against um, Corbyn. Yeah, I think he really would have because he he had nothing to to offer other than other than pain. And if you offer something decent in its place, you're going to do a lot better. Mm. Mm. That's us. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's us. Oh, no. oh, sorry. We had yeah, one last thing because it's the anniversary of um, Bob Crow's yeah, the, passing. Yeah, the best union leader <laughs> he was great wasn't he it's um i was thinking because there was i saw that it was like the anniversary mm. of him dying and he did die quite young um yeah not that young for a man so large <laughs> yeah. um, who lived life like he did <laughs> but it's it was still sad and the rmt now is run by someone who's not very nice mm. Um, in many ways the anti-Cameron because whereas Cameron desperately wanted to not be stuck with any of the traditional story stereotypes oh, he was such a traditional um, union Bob boss. Crow was not bothered about appearing like smoking cigars and yeah. like that kind of thing like the with his Stafford Terrier called Castro yeah oh god bless that he was, he was not bothered about any of that any of that kind of stereotyping mm. and was stronger for it mm. especially seeing as apparently the man could like bench press 130 kilos yeah, there's some of the stuff like that, like um, the like, boxing, the running, the lifting weights, did seem, like, especially towards the end, did no, seem a bit yank, like no, Mao on the Yangtze no, River. No, we're going straight into Mao swims the Yangtze, <laughs> we're going straight into personality cults. <laughs> Bob Crow could lift tube trains. Yes. I know that, um, did you, you know, well, his first job at TFL, he was a woodcar, he was mm. a lumberjack, which, that's amazing. I wonder if they, they must still have lumberjacks. Because, like, on, like, people outside of London probably don't know. But um, hmm. the tube line, especially like the central line, goes right into Epping Forest. Hmm. So yeah, you have things like you have to cut down trees. Hmm. And in my head, he's there with just an axe, <laughs> Paul Bunyan. <laughs> but um, but it's, like, I think there was endless video, like endless interviews, like that great interview with Andrew Neil, where Andrew Neil trying to shame him by saying like, "Look, a nurse only earns this, a teacher only earns hmm. this, yet a tube worker earns this. What does that say about you?" And it's like, "Well, he's a good union boss. Yeah, <laughs> but he does. He does his job well." And um, what's the other one about when you came in? Um, annual leave was this much, and now it's so much higher. What do you call that? And his response of progress. Yeah. Like, oh. um, and it's that thing that he had of there's nothing too good for the working classes. Like yeah. Anti, like you were saying earlier, um, anti hair shirt socialism. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. You can you can dissimulate and try and please everybody mm. and you can try and kind of get everybody roughly on board with your thing. But at some point, and Corbynism, I'm not mm. saying Corbyn because I think he probably knows. John McDonald mm. certainly fucking knows. Mm. But I think Corbynism will learn, especially the, the, the right ones, the Paul Masons, that at some point in this project, they are going to have to come up against... Something they can't triangulate, mm. something they can't um, get on board, and they're just going to have to use power. Mm. 
mm. to get through it. Like that is one good thing a power that power is good for. Within class conflict, mm. there will be certain members of propertied classes, landlords for instance, that will need to be brought down. Mm. And he kind of understood that and was like, yeah. quite, I think he was like, that's why he was so totemic because he made no apologies mm. for having to do that because it's like this will benefit the most of my member, most of my members, and it will benefit mm. most people generally. Mm. And I think that's why he was so loved because he was that he was, he was he, he was, was a shining figure in a time when we did not have a shi- oh, a lot yeah. of shining figures in the Labour movement. He was the most. Of of the British of left. the prominent ones, yeah. you know, like the ones you knew their names. Prominent like. British left of that time, he was mm. literally the only one. Because mm. by that point, I couldn't give less of it. Like I know a lot of people like Hillary Ben, not Hillary Ben, I'm um, Tony Ben. I couldn't give less of a shit about that old man, but it, towards the end, but Bob Crow, yes, Tony Ben had a really like like pure like he he had like the night like the the uncle of the left that kind of like nice purity. Given the fact that he was kicked out of power so so mm. soon, you know, I mean, he spent mm. what? When did he die? Two thousand ten, two thousand eleven, twelve, something like that. Yeah. And I mean, he had lost he lost the leadership contest against not not John Brown, um, one before him, maybe Jim Callahan, someone like that. Mm. Um, he had lost a leadership election against against him and was pretty much out of politics. Hmm. Like, by that point, he was a backbencher for a number of more years, but he was only ever, like, the conscience of the Labour Party. And he had a nice, adorable purity about him, but not a lot of, kind of, theoretical or, like, political clout, if you know Hmm. what I mean. And, like, I appreciate, like, moral persuasion and all that, but Bob Crow had something in addition to to moral persuasion, if you know what I mean. I found it very... It made me feel happy... Mm. That TFL bosses had to sit in a room with a man that could tower over them and terrify them that he was going <laughs> to shut down the underground. Yeah. Um, the fact that, you know, under Ken Livingston we had significantly less strikes than under Boris. Yeah. And Ken Livingston talked to him on the reg. Yeah. And Boris never talked to him. Mm. Um, oh, yeah, it's um, it's sad that he's gone. Yeah. It would yeah. have been nice to see where he'd be now. I, I imagine. I he, imagine I he would have a like, much. He was anti-EU, but I don't think he was ever anti-immigrant or was like immigrants depress wages. His union proved that. His workers proved that. You know, yeah. immigration didn't affect his wages. Yeah. Um, and I know there's the quote of his of him saying he's got more in common with a Chinese labourer than a City of London stockbroker. Yeah. Um, so I'd hope that he's not on the Paul Mason side, <laughs> but who knows? <laughs> yeah. I mean, apparently, like, um, I was reading a couple of uh, like obituaries when Hmm. he passed away and like yeah he he was like this big strong towering figure but he did also have like a political intelligence behind him oh yeah had like a he had negotiation now Hmm. not not saying like he was this like steamroller who who steamrolled everything but it was just nice to have at that point someone who was so outspoken in in favor of like workers rights and Hmm. and he was always the the idea that yeah the idea that workers were worth something yeah that they were morally worth something Hmm. Which is so rare and so so difficult, seemingly difficult for a lot of people, including like political leaders, to to put into proper words and, and taken like portrayed as a fact. Mm. And yeah, it, it would have been really nice to see how he would have what he would have made of like Corbynism mm. now and, and where he would have would have fitted into that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. That's us for the week. All right, that's us for the week. Um, 
So you can subscribe to us on iTunes. You can follow us at WDT80W underscore podcast. You can follow me at BM Bergamo. You can follow Hugh at Tanner Smashing. And that is episode 47, all wrapped up. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Fighting am the least about the fighting game When Mr. Hoover said to